Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode 129 of the Motorcycle Men podcast. I am Ted here in the V-Twin Cafe in the corner booth and about myself again. But wait, there's somebody here. Hey, thanks for listening and tuning in to the show and, of course, for listening to all the Motorcycle Man episodes. If you would like to help out the show, you can go to our website at MotorcycleMen.us and there you can click on the donate button if you'd like to help us out with a singular PayPal donation. Any little bit you can give helps out a great deal. All right. Uh, another way you can help out is feedback. Go over to iTunes and give us a rating, good, bad, or indifferent, doesn't matter. We accept all feedback. And while you're at it, send us an email over to motomenpc at gmail.com or go to our contact page on the website and send us a note there. I read all of our email, and I will comment during our show about it. Additionally, if you would like to win yourself a Bell, I'm sorry, a built Roadster three-quarter helmet, X-Large in white, all you have to do is go to that contact page, and there's a sign-up right there for it. You just got to fill in your email address, and you'll be in the running for a helmet. It's a great thing. We're going to be giving that away on our next studio show in another week. Also, you can also win a motorcycle security lock. Uh, and you can sign up for that in the same place on our contact page. And you can also sign up for, to win a cup holder, a drink holder, actually, for your motorcycle. So do all that on our contact page. There will be a link in the show notes for you to do that. Now... As you know, and many of you have heard me here say on the Motorcycle Men podcast that I, at times, have said unkind things about the Harley-Davidson Street Series motorcycles. I have expressed my thoughts on their un-Harley-like fit and finish, the questionable performance, and its labeling as a Harley beginner bike. Admittedly, all of these comments and opinions are strictly based on appearance of the bike and the flat track results, but never from the experience of actually riding one. And while the Street 500, 750, and the Street Rod 750 does not appeal to me, it does have a place in Harley-Davidson lineup that does appeal to many, and it's got a huge following. So joining me here today is a guy who is going to prove just how wrong I have been about these bikes. Hi, right, joining me now here on the Motorcycle Men podcast, uh, here in the V-Twin Cafe in the corner booth, all the way from Fall City, Washington, is the guy who gave me a boatload of crap because I was dissing the Street 500 on one of our episodes. As you know, I haven't been a huge fan of the Street Series, but Brian Gosney is here to set me straight. Welcome to the podcast, Brian. Thank you for having me. Great, great. Appreciate having you on. So, why don't you tell me a little bit about your motorcycle self? Uh, okay. Uh, well, uh, I started with the dirt bikes when I was uh, a kid, teenager. We had a little two-stroke. Uh, I grew up in the 80s in a suburban neighborhood, and we had little two-stroke dirt bikes. 
it kind of got passed around the neighbor neighborhood kids and uh didn't go much beyond those and then uh, about two years ago i picked up a 50 cc scooter for like 250 it didn't run uh, i'm pretty mechanically inclined so i brought it home and got it running in about a week needed a new carb and a new ignition and uh i rode that through the winter i got it in like october and i I was commuting to work on it. I, I worked about six miles away on back roads. So I rode really? that. And then wow. I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was uh, pretty hurling because the speed limit is 45, and that thing, as you know, they, they top out at 35 if you're lucky. Yeah, sorry. So, a lot of downhills, <laughs> you probably can hit it, right? Yeah, yeah. It was great on the way home. <laughs> and on the way to work, I pissed off a lot of people. <laughs> I <bet>. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Um, by spring, my, my daughter, I've got my uh, kids that live with me, and my my uh, seven-year-old daughter wanted to ride with me. I'm like, well, we, we can't ride on this. We're, you know, we're going to ride a 50cc without an endorsement in Washington State. Oh, you can? And uh, Yeah, wow. yeah. So I did that that whole winter, and I was riding in the dark and everything, which you're not even allowed to deal with a, uh, with a permit here. So because I didn't have a permit or an endorsement, I was, a, I was able to ride it after dark. But uh, by spring, my daughter wanted to ride down the road with me. I'm like, well, this thing's not powerful enough, and I'd have to get an endorsement. So I ended up getting an endorsement and uh, got a 150cc scooter. And uh, threw her on the back, and we went for a ride around town. We could do 45, but suddenly we're, like, trapped in this valley I live in because yeah. everything out, outside of here is, like, 55, 60, and that thing couldn't do 55 with both of us on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, what kind so, of scooter is it? What brand is it? Those were both Chinese junk. I picked up the first one for two fifty, oh, and I think you. the second one I got for three hundred. Yeah, they were. Just, they, I knew they were disposable. So I was like, I'll just get the cheapest thing I can find. Yeah. So after I realized we couldn't ride together, that's when I finally was like, I need to get a real bike. All right. So why don't you tell us about your bike? What, what do you currently ride? Uh, I've got a twenty sixteen Harley Street five hundred. All right. I bought it. Yeah, I bought that thing brand new from the dealer. Really? And, yeah. and is that what else do you got? I've also got a 2015 Indian Scout, and I picked that one up this summer. So I've had the the, the Harley for two years, and uh, the Indian for about six months now. You know, Brian, you're giving me the impression that you really have nothing to do but buy motorcycles. <laughs> yeah, it, it has become a bit of an obsession. I, I started my collection. Well, you know, it could be worse. You know, it could be collecting like beer bottles or something like that. But so, what made you pick the uh, the five hundred over the seven fifty? The gas mileage. Mostly, it was the gas mileage. Oh, really? Is it that yeah, much? Is it that because, much different? Yeah the uh, the seven fifty will get forty five, maybe fifty if you're if you're gentle on it, and uh, the five hundred will get sixty pretty easily. No and I've kidding. Got to get by seventy four. Wow! Yeah, See that—that's uh, news to me. I didn't know. I mean, I remember I was getting when I had my 883 Sportster. I was getting 55 miles to the gallon, and on my current uh, Heritage uh, Softail, I'm getting 48. So, yeah. now, how many how many gallon gas tank do you have on that bike? 3.2 gallons. Oh, are you serious? It'll, it'll That's all it is. 200 miles. You only got 3.2 gallons. Really? Yeah. See, I, yeah. For some reason, I expected that thing to have like a five gallon tank. Yeah, it looks bigger than it actually is. Oh, really? 
Yeah, and, and the interesting thing is when I go on these group rides with the hog captain, they always assume that I need to stop often. But I'm like, I can go 200 miles on this oh. tank, really. Oh, okay. Oh, that's yeah. impressive. I had no idea. Now, so you did a lot of mods to this bike. I was looking at, you have a, you have a YouTube channel. And I was looking yeah. at I was looking at your videos, and you've done a boatload of mods to this bike. Now, did you start doing yeah. these mods like as right after as soon as you got it home from the dealer? Um, well, I bought it with a windshield and a sissy bar and a cargo rack um, from the dealer, and then I got it home, and I was like, I'm not going to ride this thing anywhere with that factory exhaust. It sounded like a sewing machine. It did not sound like a Harley. <laughs> So before I even rode it anywhere, I, I got online and I ordered an exhaust for it. Well, why don't you run down the list of okay. uh, improvements that you did to the bike? Okay, there was the muffler, uh, and um, after that, I think the next thing I did was the intake. I got a Vance Hines Naked O2. There's a kind of a funny story on that intake. The um, I got the Naked O2. It's just the air filter with nothing on top of it. I didn't like any of the covers they sell for those, so I cut the top off of the factory housing with a, a, a die grinder, and I, I bolted that on top of the Banson Hines intake, so it still says 500cc water-cooled on the side of the bike, and it kind of looks stock, except you can see the filter element. Wow, really? Yeah. Um, I did an F, uh, Banson Hines SP3 tuner, dual pack 3. Um, it's kind of nice because it hooks up to the phone over Bluetooth, but it was kind of necessary after the exhaust and the intake. It really made the bike more rideable. It's uh, a lot less hesitation when you take it off. Right. It's something I probably should have done sooner. All right. um, I designed and installed an anti-theft transponder system. It was um, So the bike had no anti-theft at all because it's a basic Harley system. Or sure. The Harley's basic bike, and it's just got an ignition switch. So right. I put a um, little, little circuit on there that reads a uh, RFID chip on a key fob. And it will not allow the bike to start without that. that was something oh, that's I cool. Now, is that, I is that electrical engineering? So. Is that uh, is that something that anybody can buy, or is that something no, you can No, no, it was uh, one off that I personally designed. Really? Wow. Yeah, I thought about selling it, but then there's a bunch of liability if it shuts off the ignition while they're riding. So I may I may eventually publish the plans and let people build their own. Okay. Wow, that's that's a pretty cool device. Yeah, but go on. Um, I changed up. Uh, yeah, I changed up the handlebars because uh, I was swinging just a little bit too far forward and it was hurting my lower back. So I, I bought some seven-inch mini amps. Apes. They were uh, pretty cheap online, and that got me sitting upright. That was a lot better. And uh, I put on a totally rock and ISO grips while I was at it. And that helps like hand them mm-hmm. Um I installed some basic saddlebags because I needed cargo room. Right. Um, it was just like a really cheap kit that I got off Amazon, uh, no names. Um, I put lighter horns on it because the factory horn, you couldn't hear it over the exhaust. <laughs> so, that's lighter hors on there. Yeah. Um, what horns did you put on there? Auto, um, they are hella um, for a car. Oh, they really? They didn't fit very well. I kind of, yeah, I kind of low-mounted them below the radiator. They kind of hang low, but they're certainly loud. <laughs> okay. Yep. Um, I put a, the, the uh, blinkers don't auto-cancel, so I'd go on group rides with the hog chapter, and they'd all be flashing their fingers at me, and I kind of got fed up with that. So I put a, um, a melody at the top of the windshield that's hooked up to my blinkers. So if my blinkers are on, I've got this bright green light flashing in my face. Oh, okay. So I know that they're still on. 
Uh, see, that's one of the um, things about the Street 500, the Street Series, that always bothered me because the uh, Harleys, by nature, they have the self-canceling signals, and every Harley guy yeah. loves that. So why would Harley-Davidson produce a bike that doesn't have that? So that, that's always been a... Yeah, it's such you, a basic circuit. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's like a thorn in my yeah, side, but go ahead. Yeah, there, there's even a company online who uh, makes so, uh, self-canceling add-on kits for other bikes. Oh, they okay. won't sell me one for, the, for this bike because they say Harleys have it built in. I'm like, no, this one doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Um, next up, uh, I put uh, I had a custom front fender made because I rode this thing all winter long. And uh, the rain, we, we get a lot of rain here in Washington State. And the rain was getting all, it, it was uncontrollable. It was just, so I got a bigger front fender. It looks more like a standard. Hollywood yeah, I saw that uh, in your videos. It's kind of, It almost it actually really kind of like looks like something off of a soft tail. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it looks really good on there. Uh, I got a guy in India to make that for me. It was really, really well priced. <laughs> oh, wow. So you sent away to India for a guy to make that for you. Well, not so much. Um, there was a, a, a Facebook group for this bike okay. and he's in that Facebook group and oh, he, right. he'd put one on his bike and I'm like, Hey, can you get one made for me? He's like, sure. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah. So that was was that the full uh, gamut of your uh, your improvements? Nope. Um, two more things. I did uh, uh, the saddleman seat, um, gel seat, uh, because the factory seat. Uh, if I rode for more than an hour, it hurt. If I rode for more than three hours, I couldn't sit down for the rest of the day. <laughs> That's not good. <laughs> <laughs> it was rather painful. Wow. Uh, and, and and then I also put on some better shocks. Um, Kind of for looks, but it turned out it actually helped improve the bike because I didn't think the factory shocks were bad what, at what all. What shocks but, did you put on? Um, they are cheap Chinese no-name shocks that I got on eBay for eighty bucks a pair. Wow! They're they're piggyback and they got bright neon green springs on them, so they look kind of cool. No, uh, speaking of green, a lot of people notice them. Well, yes. while we're on the subject of green, tell us about the green wheels. Yes. Um, well, like I was saying, I, I ride this thing to work in the dark in the winter on my commute. So I wanted the bike to stick out a bit more, and I found some 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 guy on Amazon that was selling reflective strips for the rims, and they sell them for every different size rim. So I gave them my size of rims and ordered up these reflective strips. Oh, and really? They, uh, they glow green. It looks like I've got neon tubes when a headlight hits them. It is amazing how bright they get. Now, are these uh, adhesive uh, strips that go on your the edge of your rims? Yes, yes, it is. Wow, and and they don't come off at all. I'm really surprised. Yeah, yeah, they're on there really good. Wow, that's cool. Wow. So now, most people, when they think of doing a long-distance ride, they're going to go out and get themselves, a, or they have a, a large cruiser, uh, you know, like a like a, a touring line from Harley-Davidson or a soft tail line, or they're going to have, you know, one of the BMWs or one of the big Hondas or something like that, a big dual sport. You don't hear of many people doing a large tour, a long-distance ride, on a lightweight bike like a Street 500. But you said, screw the world, and I'm going to go do that. So what did you, So tell us about this long-distance trip you did on your Street 500. Sure, yeah. Um, uh, well, the reason I did it was because people say you can't do it. It's, uh, the bike is too small. You do a full-size bike. And I'm like, ah, no, I'm going to put you wrong. Well, that's just it. You know, it's uh, funny because I've always wanted to do a long-distance ride on a Sportster. 
You know, uh, uh-huh. one of the newer ones. And, and but it was like, oh, you're going to kill yourself. It's gonna, you're going to hate it. It's gonna, but not so much because I think the sportsters that I've ridden, the newer ones that I've ridden recently, they're they're extremely comfortable to me. So you pretty much took that whole approach yourself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, part of my thought was that the the bikes used to be smaller. Uh, not even that far into the past, they were a lot smaller, and people were riding all over the country on them. So I was like, "There's nothing that's stopping me from being able to do this. It used to be done. It's just now people have better options." But this is what I've got, so I'm doing it. Wow, that's great. So now tell us about the route. Okay, so I. I took two weeks off from work, and my plan was to go to Yellowstone and spend two weeks just camping and riding around the park. And uh, I always had this backup plan. I was like, you know, if, it, if it's too crowded or I get done with the park too fast, I'm just I'm going to head east. I'm going to go, I don't know, maybe see the Mississippi River or something. So well, I, I said I, um, I was going to take, uh, like, Highway 2, which is a northern uh, freeway out of Washington State. And I got about halfway down that and took a a long turn when I stopped to take a picture and uh, ended up taking I-90 all the way. (laughs) And my my route into the park, I I knew I wanted to take Beartooth Pass. And uh, Beartooth Pass is on the far side of Montana. So I had to ride all the way through Montana to get there. And then I came into Yellowstone through Beartooth Pass. Wow. And I ended up getting done with the park in two days. Oh, and, so you had some time. Yeah, yeah. It was a, it was a little bit crowded, and I certainly couldn't find any camping inside the park. So I just continued, and I was like, I'll head out the east side of the park. And you know what? I remember that my hog membership comes with a free visit to the museum. So let's yeah. go ahead and go to the museum in Milwaukee. So I continued east on 90. Uh, I think I had to go up a little bit to get back to 90, but I ended up back on 90 and took that all the way into, most of the way into Milwaukee. At some point, I had to cut over small freeways, but yeah. So you did make it uh, to the museum then? Yeah, yeah, I went to the museum. It was great. Uh, It was pretty cool, and uh, I don't know if you want me to continue on the uh, drop back or if you want me to talk about the museum now. (laughs) Oh, wow. Right, yeah. So, um, now the spit. Now the route. Did you have a specific route laid out in in detail, or or was it just you were just going to pick a direction and go? Yeah, I knew it was mostly east. Um, I think I punched in uh, the city name of whatever city I was heading towards next. So, like for Yellow, for the Blairview Pass, I had the, the name of the town I needed to get to to go through that, and I punched that in when I left the state. And then after Yellowstone, I just punched in Milwaukee. Yeah, so I've got a handlebar, a phone mount on my handlebars, so that my phone up there with the GPS going. All right, what GPS are you using? Uh, I used mostly Apple Maps because it's built into my phone. Oh, so you it was your phone navigation that you used. You didn't actually use a, a motorcycle specific GPS. No, I didn't. Wow. Okay, and had that work out good for you? Um, it was mostly good. Uh, I had a, a lot more spotty coverage than I expected, and when you lose coverage on your phone, you have to recalculate, you have to recalculate the route at all. Uh, it yeah. won't. <laughs> all right. yeah, this is where GPS comes in handy. Right? Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So now how many miles all total did you do? Uh, it was, I'm pretty sure it was exactly 5,000. It might have been just shy of 5,000. 
I was Wait. averaging 600 miles a day. Really? Wow. Yeah. And, and now, now yeah, you didn't I, stop there after that 5,000. You didn't stop there. You kept going. You did something else, right? Uh, well, no, it was um, 2,500 to get to Milwaukee, and then I came back. Um, the, the final day of the ride was a 963-mile day. Ooh. Well, you yeah. should have just kept going and gotten your Saddle Store 1,000. Uh, yeah, so if I had somebody to document my start, I probably would have. <laughs> uh, that day I started at 6 a.m., and um, I had intended to be a 450-mile day, but the, my original destination didn't work out, so I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to head home. So I put the next 450-plus miles on the bike to get home. Wow. And, uh, I went, yeah, I went from 6 a.m., I went through the time zone that gave me an extra hour, and I got home at 10 p.m. Oh, that worked out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, you know, most people wouldn't consider... Like, like we had said earlier, t- taking a lightweight bike on a long road trip. But, you know, but you, so you did, obviously. Now, were you apprehensive yeah. at all about doing that? No, no. Um, yeah, I, just, I, was, I was like, no, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to prove everybody wrong. And I know this bike can do it. Yeah, so, yeah, I wasn't, um, you know. Okay. Well, how did you prepare yourself and the bike for the trip? It was uh, mostly packaging, uh, packing. Um, the uh, I did I got it to uh, an oil. Uh, this bike oil changes every five thousand miles, so I got it to the ten thousand mile mark and changed my oil like a week before I left. Right. And um, I packed the saddlebags with some basic tools in case I needed to do some maintenance. A bunch of zip ties and gaffer's tape and electrical tape, and I think I even had some bailing wire in case things started falling off. Wow, I, you know, it's funny that you said bailing wire. I don't often hear people use that term when it comes to, you know, preparing a motorcycle for a trip. Uh, yeah, yeah. I've, uh, I've had some pretty ratty cars in my past, and it has come in handy in my past. Wow. That's, uh, that's cool. Uh, what was the toughest part of the whole trip, you know? Uh, probably that last day when I had to do the 963 miles. Well, it was not cool. It was really hot out. Um, I stopped at the halfway point, and I was definitely suffering some heat fatigue. So I stopped and spent about an hour at McDonald's and had a burger and a milkshake. And yeah, that was that was the hardest part. Wow. How's the weather? The weather was good. There was one day on the way to Milwaukee. I encountered a pretty massive windstorm with heavy rain. It was it was a really intense windstorm. I was behind. I was I was tailgating a UPS semi truck trying to get him to block the wind for me, and he oh. was getting blown halfway into the next lane. Oh, dear. <laughs> I wow. was uh yeah, I, uh, it was it, it was interesting. I was leaning the bike into the wind just like I remember being taught in the motorcycle endorsement class. I was like, oh, this is just like they taught me. I never got to try this. <laughs> it was uh, it was kind of fun, but it was pretty harrowing too. Wow, now how did the bike? I guess the bike handled well then, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it was like a little bit the bike too too light for the wind, and I had no problem. I just leaned it into the wind like you'd expect, and it, it stayed where most it stayed as, as well as the UPS truck was. Right. <laughs> now that was a you said that was a Harley Davidson factory windshield that you bought with the bike, correct? Yes. Now, how did that split the wind for you? Uh, it is good until you get to 80 miles an hour. At 80 miles an hour, it buffets 
so bad, I thought I was going to get brain damage. <laughs> so, so, so I take it, I take it from that then, that you spent a lot of time under 80 miles an hour. <laughs> yeah, the first time I did 80, it, uh, I, I did 80 for an entire tank of gas, and I was so beat up by the time I stopped. I, I it pretty much took a day's worth of energy out of me, um, and uh, my gas mileage dropped from the usual like 52 I'd been getting on a trip to uh, 45. I was like, okay, no more of that. Yay. Well, you know. Yeah. Yeah, so I did 70 the rest of the way. Uh, even even the freeways that say um, 80 miles an hour, of which it was most of them um, between here and Milwaukee, um, I was doing 70, and nobody seemed to mind. I'd have people passing me, and I'd be passing other people, so nobody seemed to set their own pace on the freeways. Wow. Did you hit any uh, dirt roads on, on this trip? Yes. Um Yellowstone had an uh, entire road that had been uh, plowed up in the middle of the park. And that was all level, so that wasn't too bad. Um, it was just kind of made the bike all dirty. And then after I left Sturgis, going up into, uh, I was going to go, go see uh, Devil's Tower. And um, on the way to that, uh, there's one downslope where they decided to rip up the road as well. And it was a Rain had just come through, so it was all wet clay, and I'm heading down this really steep hill. That was kind of harrowing, but it uh, didn't have any problems. It managed to stay up and everything. There were other bikes doing the same hill, so they, right. go, they can do it. I can do it. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's pretty interesting. So did you have any mechanical issues along the way? Nope, none whatsoever. Um, I had uh, um, I had a little trouble with um, my uh, my my. The stuff I packed. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, I learned that you need to put the heaviest stuff on the bottom. Yeah, the usually that's the way it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's pretty cool. Now, w- w- as far as it goes for your accommodations, did you stay in hotels or did you camp most of the time? I camped most of the time. The only time I stayed in a, a motel was in uh, Milwaukee because it's a big city and I oh, wasn't doing camping. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Not- but, yeah, I, every night I just kind of look for a campsite when it starts to get dark. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. So I, I yeah. Thought, yeah, so it's not like one of these things pull off to the side of the road as far as you can and just pitch a tent. You actually went to campgrounds. Yeah, I, I thought, yeah, yeah, I was actually paying for a campsite every night. Um, I probably could have just, but I didn't want somebody like interrupting me in the middle of the night. Oh, sure, yeah. 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 So I guess the, camp, the campsites were pretty accommodating to a, a motorcycle guy, right? Yeah, they'd kind of look at me funny, but yeah, a lot of the campsites were hosting RVs, and they're like, well, there's some grass over there, you can park over there, I guess. All right. What would you do about meals? Meals. I I packed an entire bag of, uh, you know those uh, Lipton-flavored rice packets that you kind of heat up with some water and serve with dinner? Yeah. Yeah, it's like broccoli cheddar flavored and stuff. Right. Yeah, I took a bunch of those. They're like a dollar a piece. I, I took enough for the, every night dinner. And I took a hiking camp stove, one of those jet boil stoves. Yeah. And a hiking, um, hiking st- um, uh, dish set, you know, pans and stuff. Okay. And uh, yeah, so every night I'd make dinner on that camp stove with some of the water from my water bladder. And um, during the day, I had beef jerky and. I picked up these giant bags at Costco, brought those along for my game of the day. I tried as little as possible to like, eat fast food in restaurants and stuff. Right. This was kind of, I was trying to keep this on a low-budget trip, and I 
actually really succeeded on that. So, all right. So you so you were out for how many days now? Um, nine days. Totally. You're, you're out for nine days. So for not so for eight nights, you ate these uh, rice packets, <laughs> right? Yep. Yeah. Wow, yeah. that's that's impressive. So that that is a pretty cheap trip then. Yeah, yeah, it really was. How much do you think you spent on fuel? Um, probably, if I had to guess, 400 That's not too bad. Yeah, yeah, I originally did the math, and, it, yeah, it was it was pretty cheap because the bike didn't get as good a gas mileage as I expected, but it was still really, well, it's still, I stopped early because everybody's like, oh, you're going to run out of gas, you should take a gas can. I'm like, I'm not taking a gas can. I just stop early, yeah. so I'd stop every 100 miles or so, even though I could have gone a lot farther. Well, yeah, I guess you would have to, you know, well, you know how far you can go on a tank of gas at the at the extreme. You can do 200 miles at the extreme, but did you figure out, well, I know I can go 200 on a good day, but let me just go 160 and be happy with that. Yeah, yeah, with this, it was, after I stopped early, I could see how much gas it is, so I could adjust accordingly the next time I stopped for gas, because it was mostly all just freeway and every. 100 miles or so, I stop, get gas, get back on the freeway. Wow. Now, I don't know the Street 500 that well, but does it have a gas gauge? No. It's got a fuel light. comes on, and you got about a half gallon left. Yeah, I just much like the Sportster. There you go. Yeah, I, re- I remember those days. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> did you? Were there any Harley dealers along the way that you may have stopped at? Yeah, I stopped at every single one I saw. No I, kidding. I, my... Yeah, my intention was to bring home poker chips from every single one because uh, my kids collect them. That's great. Now, what was their reaction when you told them what you were doing? Uh, you know, I didn't tell any of the Harley dealers what I was doing, actually. You didn't? Most of them seemed really busy and preoccupied. And I, just, and I walk in, I grab poker chips, and I leave, and I'm buying so little, they don't really look at me at all. Yeah. I most, think, of the, most of the dealers were really busy. Well, I think if you had mentioned to them what you were doing, uh, I think you would have gotten some something out of that. That's pretty great. That's great. Wow. I, I'm glad to see you had the opportunity to stop the, uh, all those deals. How many dealers did you stop at? I ended up with 11 poker chips for each kid. So, yeah, 11 dealerships. 11? There were a couple, like, yeah, the first day, um, all the ones I hit up in um, Montana were closed because it was Sunday. Oh, really? Um, okay. Yeah. Wow, that's pretty cool. So, what what advice or suggestions would you give to people who have a lightweight bike and want to take a long-distance road trip but aren't too sure about it? Um, just do it. The, the, don't, don't follow anybody else's uh, warnings. It's, uh, at least as far as the bike is not capable of doing it because they certainly are. Like I was saying, all the bikes used to be much smaller and lighter. Um, yeah, this 500, it's still 500 pounds, so it's, it's not... It's not like a 300-pound sport bike. Right. So it can certainly cross the country just fine. Wow. And it did, and it did, so basically it did everything that you needed it to do, right? Yeah, it certainly did. And were you at all uncomfortable at any point during that ride? Um, I did end up with blisters on the last day. Did you really? Uh, from saddle blisters, yeah. <laughs> no and kidding. Was, yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. So the gel seat kind of yeah. didn't work out for you, huh? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's certainly better than the stock seat, but yeah, it's, it's still not very wide. So, wow. 
That's that's great. I'm. That's it's. I, I tell you, me personally, I'm very. I'm impressed that you undertook a a thing like that to ride your motorcycle, especially the Street 500. The distance that you did, uh, I guess I have. I have a, a, a dream of doing the exact same thing with a with a Sportster. People think I'm crazy, but you know what? People probably thought you were nuts too. Uh, so now listen. Yeah. Tell us, it, yeah. Go ahead. It, it, it feels like a bit of a retro um, thing because people in the old old days they used to hop on their motorcycles with a tent and just go camp motor camping. Yeah. And in fact, at the at the Harley Davidson Museum, they have a couple exhibits with uh, old documentation about motor camping from Harley. Um, and I was like, yeah, I'm doing what they used to do in the old days. Because it seems like everybody now they they get on these really big Harleys and then they stop at a hotel or a motel on, on the way. It feels like I'm born tune with a bike. I'm sitting, I'm sleeping right next to my motorcycle. Yeah, that sounds like that sounds like something really cool. I would really like to do that. Now you have a YouTube channel where yes, you where you have posted videos of uh, the the things you've added uh, or changed on your uh, Sportster. I'm sorry, not Sportster on your street, <laughs> and as well uh, for your Indian. Why don't you tell us about that? Yes. Yeah, uh, my YouTube channel has um, been around for like a little years, and it's always whatever project I happen to be working on at the time. And anytime I, uh, I've got a, a project I'm working on, I just set up the camera and shoot some video and post it on there. And, yeah, I've got, I think, more than seven videos of the uh, street um, doing different things to it, uh, like my horns that I put on there that's mm-hmm. on there. Right. And uh, in fact, I'm going to be doing another video for it next month where I'm changing out the camshafts. Um, the, uh, one of the things when they came out with a street rod that's based on the, uh, the, the Street 750, they said that the, one of the big differences was it got better cams. So since they don't make any um, high-performance cams for my bike, I'm like, well, I'll just go order these cams and put them in my bike. So I've got them, and I just need to take the time to tear the bike down and swap in the cams. Wow. And now, tell us about the Indian. What uh, prompted you to get the uh, Scout? Uh, you know, it's a, a little bit of the peer pressure of, oh, when are you going to get a bigger bike? When are you going to get a bigger bike? And it's like, you know, I, I don't really want a big Harley. Um, I, and then uh, I, the flat track season came on, and the Indians were stomping the, this bike. Yeah. And uh, I'm like, so let me check out the Scout. And I started looking into the Scout, which I didn't even know existed before that. And it's like, wow, that's, that's a, that, that is the bigger version of my bike. That or the V-Rod. And then I heard the rumors that the V-Rod was going to be canceled. So I thought, well, I don't want to get a discontinued bike. So I was, I was hanging out in the uh, the Indian um, scout groups online and I was asking them, hey, it uh, looks like I can get one of these units a lot cheaper. Is there anything I should avoid in the end of the year? And they're like, nope, they, they hit it out of the ballpark with the first one. There's, there's very little change between the units. Wow. I was like, okay, I can get a used one. And then one day, uh, it was actually the first Hulk uh, chapter meeting after my trip. Um, we're sitting at the dealership, and right behind me is an Indian scout in the color I wanted that had been traded in earlier by somebody else. So after the Hulk meeting, I go and grab a salesman. I'm like, I want to buy that one. It had a price tag on it. It was $1,000 less than they should be going for used. Right. So I ended up leaving with that bike. No, oh, wow, there you go. Now, you, now are you planning to do... Any long-distance rides with that one? Yes. Yeah, it's part of uh, what I've been doing this winter. Is, um, I've been improving it for long-distance touring. 
um, better handlebars, um, better seat. Uh, I put some uh, floorboards and a better shifter on it. Um, I was putting a sissy bar on it. So, yeah, it's going to be all set up for touring by this, this uh, end of the spring. Oh, so you're going to be and taking off for another trip then? Yeah, I want to go down to uh, the. I want to ride from Canada to Mexico, just border to border. Oh, there you go. Yeah, that's. Uh, I think that that might be like a Iron Butt Association ride. I'm not really sure. I've I've heard of people doing it. And I just don't know if it's part of some uh, already pre organized plan. That's great. That's fantastic. You're doing that. Do you have any uh, any additional long distance rides planned for the Street 500? Um, well, there's going to be a couple of uh, hog rides this, this summer that I probably take it on, um, but they tend to be, you know, in the in the near vicinity of these three states and a little bit of Canada. But yeah, I, I'm not sure when I'll be taking that on a long ride again. Um, my girlfriend's getting her endorsement this spring, and she's going. I'm going to let her ride the thing. Oh, there you go. That's awesome. Yeah, so she'll be riding along with me. That's fantastic. I'm glad to hear that you're uh, actually getting your partner involved in motorcycling. That's great. So how can people learn more about your trip and watch your videos? Well, my videos, my YouTube channel is under the name Unicocker, U-N-A-C-L-O-C-K-E-R. And uh, I've got an Instagram that's also got a lot of pictures from my trip under the same name, Unicocker. Uniclocker? Those would be, yeah. All right. Great. Uh, one more question before we depart. Do you have a biker nickname? Uh, nope, not yet. Not yet. Well, you know, <laughs> we're going to have to fix that. <laughs> yeah. um, it's funny. Uh, and this is, uh, no, I, I, of course, I could probably come up with something that relates to your Street 500 and the riding you've been doing. But with me, every time I see the name Brian, the the word brain comes to mind. So uh, we're, we're going to call you brain from now on. Brian the brain. Okay, that works. <laughs> That's you. Um, any uh, last words uh, for our listeners before we uh, close the door? Well, you know, there was one quick story I forgot to mention. Mention uh, it. When you asked, okay, when you asked if I told any of the dealerships about what I was doing, while I was at the Harley Davidson Museum, um, I took the behind the scenes tour, and our tour guide there um, was. He asked the, the group that he had there, um, who, "Who came from the farthest away?" And I raised my hand, and yeah, I, I was the one that had made the farthest trip to get there, and. Uh, when I said where I was from, he's like, oh, you rode the Street 500. And uh, he, he totally seen my bike. And he was telling me other people, he's like, yeah, this guy rode all the way across the country on our smallest motorcycle. And he's he like, you, you don't see check out his bike after, after the tour. He's done some really interesting changes to it. I really liked his uh, uh, dice uh, valve stem caps because I've got dice on the, uh, the, on the right, valve stem yeah. caps on the tires. Okay. Yeah, he even noticed those. So. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, I'm uh, sure. Notice my bike. I'm sure more people that you that you introduce yourself to and tell them what you're doing, they'll be uh, equally as surprised as I am, because like I said, you don't hear (laughs) of people doing a a ride of such long distance on such a lightweight bike. But that's you know. But then again, I've interviewed people who have toured the entire country several times on a Vespa. 
So again, but, yeah. you know, yeah, it's amazing. And I, I, yeah. I encourage more people to do that. The bike can do what you need it to do. You just have to have faith in it and just get out there and do it. Exactly. Yes. Well, Brian the Brain, I want to thank you very much for joining me here on the Motorcycle Men podcast and setting me straight on the Street Series motorcycles from Harley-Davidson. It looks like they can do pretty much anything that I could do on my bike. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was great to uh, get to represent for my bike. I know there's a bunch of people that are really into these things online. So there is a community that loves these things. Great. So it's, it's great to let everybody know. Well, Brian, thank you very much. And uh, listen, you get out there and you ride safe. Thank you. You too. All right, bye-bye. All right, thank you for listening to episode 129 with long-distance Harley-Davidson Street 500 rider Brian the Brain Gosney. Be sure to take the time to check out his YouTube channel. The links are in the show notes. And uh, you can also see the links on the Motorcycle Men website as well. Speaking of YouTube... Go over to the Motorcycle Men channel on YouTube, and you can listen to our shows there as well. And not, uh, not only that, but in the uh, weeks to come, there's going to be some new things on our YouTube channel. Things are picking up. So, And also go over to our uh, Facebook page and check that over there as well. And remember, if you want that Bell Roadster three-quarter helmet, uh, the cycle lock or the drink holder, go to the Motorcycle Men website and the signups are located on the Contact Us page right there. Uh, back in the V-Twin Cafe next week with Tim Buck 2 and Chris the Joker. We're going to talk about some Harley Davidson stuff. And don't forget to check out our fellow podcasters whose links you will find on our links page. All of these podcasts, all of the moto vloggers, YouTubers, that talk about motorcycles. They're there to promote and encourage our sport and passion. And you should do the same thing. Talk kindly about motorcycles when you are around non-riders. Keep your stories of horrors of the road to yourself. All right? Talk good about motorcycles. And feel free to tell people about your motorcycle. So, from Timbuktu, Chris the Joker, and me, Ted Wrongway, your host, thanks for listening to the Motorcycle Men Podcast where we say stupid crap so you don't have to. Enjoy the ride, kids.